Snippet, the short podcast platform. This is Check Your Privilege, the podcast. Let's welcome anti-racism guide, mental health activist, and founder of the Check Your Privilege movement, your host, Maisha T. Hill. Welcome to Check Your Privilege, the podcast. I'm your guide on this journey, Maisha T. Hill. And as always, I'm grateful to be in community with you. Today's podcast, we're going to discuss the importance of loving Black men. I want to be clear and say I am not here to speak for Black men. However, as a Black woman, I'm speaking with them. The goal here is not for me to position myself as the expert on all things Black men, masculinity, patriarchy, but as a Black woman and honoring and celebrating Black History Month, I think it's important that I stand in solidarity with my brothers to name the common struggles and challenges that they face and to empower all of us to work through healing our biases and our beliefs when it comes to Black men and the possibility and the excitement of learning how to love Black men well. You know, we we don't grow up with a working definition of what love is, and love may not have been modeled for us depending on, you know, the way we were raised and our environments. But what I can tell you is that from my lived experience and from me having brothers and uh, seeing black men in relationship to me as a black woman, I just feel it's really important that I use this episode to really highlight why black men need to be loved, why they haven't been loved, and some quick tidbits on where we can go from here. So today, friends, we're going to unpack this episode into three bite-sized segments. In the first segment, we'll unpack how history and systemic racism continues to downplay black men. In our second segment, we'll discuss some current statistics and challenges facing black men. And then in our next and our final segment, we'll discuss how we can dismantle our biases and begin to really work towards showing up and showing love for black men. Segment one, how history and systemic racism demonizes and downplays black men. At the center of the way black male selfhood is constructed, in white supremacist capitalist patriarchy is the image of the brute, untamed, uncivilized, unthinking, and unfeeling, Bell Hooks. What Bell Hooks names in her book, We Real Cool, Black Men and Masculinity, is that black malehood is centered as the brute. So let's talk about this idea of the brute character. The brute character often, and always, let's be real, portrays black men as savage, animalistic, destructive, and criminal, deserving of punishment and maybe death. The brute is also seen as a fiend, a sociopath, and an antisocial menace. This character began during enslavement 
and it continues unconsciously in our biases until present day. So during enslavement, the dominant character of black folk were the ideology of the mammy, the coon, the tom, the pickaninny. And it was portrayed as childlike images that are docile, groveling, and harmless. The portrayals of black folks in this way were instrumental and proponents of enslavement created and promoted images of black folks that justified slavery and soothed white conscience. And many white folk would argue back then in the 1800s and early 1900s that without enslavement, black folk, and in particularly the brute and black men, would have animalistic tendencies unless they were enslaved. That blacks were criminal savages. And there was also this ideology that the newly emancipated black folks were a black peril. And that belief continued into the 1900s. The many social structures and beliefs and policies and procedures that went into even the Constitution of America, the 13th and the 14th Amendment, perpetuated the idea that black men were far than human. The three-fifths compromise, or the one-drop rule, and I'm going to empower you all to Google that up, enforced that black men and black people were merely human. You know, as time went on, we talked about the great Nadir. We talked about Reconstruction and Jim Crow and the civil rights movements. We continue to see these beliefs passed down generationally through white and white passing folk from the South. And those beliefs transcended to white and white passing folks in the North, into the Southwest, into the West where the ideology is that black men were dangerous criminals. And even while this was happening, black men were creating their own educational institutions, were becoming doctors and lawyers, and were building thriving familial networks between Reconstruction all the way until today, and still because of unconscious beliefs and biases, because of systemic policies and procedures, Black men are still seen as dangerous predators. I mean, let's be honest. We even had Hillary Clinton call black men super predators. And this ideology of super predators is what helped push forward legislation like the three strikes you're out rule, right? These ideologies push this idea of mass incarceration. The school to prison pipeline for black boys, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's, you know, black boys get to about third grade and they start acting out and falling behind their peers and misbehaving. And the misbehavior is never attributed to trauma or their environment, it's always triggered to them being a problem, right? Which therefore perpetuates and pushes the narrative forward that black boys are criminals. And I, as someone who's worked in school systems, has seen police called on black boys because of their behavior, because they're out of control or there's nothing else that can be done. We have to take all these past historical narratives from the brute character to the coon, the Uncle Tom, 
the ideology of black folks being ignorant and docile and unable to learn, specifically black men. And we have to take that into consideration and think about, man, do we really love black men? Or are we yet again showing up and holding space for a belief that we really don't hold true to our hearts? And so, as my friend Letty would say in her podcast, history shows us that time and time again, you can say one thing, but because of the deep-rooted racism and because of the interlocking systems of oppression, Black men and Black disabled men and Black trans men are still seen as unloved, inferior, and as Bell Hooks said, untamed, uncivilized, and unthinking. Segment two, current challenges facing black men. There are several challenges that black men face that are the issues that perpetuate the lie that they're not worthy of love, that perpetuate the lie that black men are uncivilized, that perpetuate the myth that black men are unfeeling. And when we think about these challenges facing black men, it gives us a clear picture of how to look at these figures and facts and consider what we can do to make space and think about our collusion and our confusion and do something about it. There are some key facts on black men and their outcomes that are important. And these key facts, thank you to Brookings for delivering this information. These key facts are gonna be in comparison to black women, white women, and white men. Now, I know many of you who listen to this podcast are across all racial preferences. However, these statistics that I researched and found just compared to the black-white binary. And we all know, if you don't know the work of Check Your Privilege, we talk about there's more to this work than the black-white binary. But for the sake of my culture and for the sake of naming my experience and for the sake of being a black woman who is speaking with black men, it is important that I share this message. So let's not get caught up in the thoughts of binary. So here are some challenges facing black men. Number one, education. In 2019, 28% of black men ages 25 to 29 had a bachelor's degree or higher, and that's compared to 30% of black women and 40% of white men, and nearly half of white women. And that came from the National Center of Education. Also, young black men are served poorly by schools. Another thing that is affecting black men Black boys who are raised poor are most at risk of remaining stuck in poverty. And so what this means is that black women and white women raised by low-income parents have similar rates of upward mobility. But black men are less likely than white men to rise up the income ladder. A third of white men raised by low-income parents end up in the top 40% of the income distribution as adults compared to 19% of black boys. Another challenge facing black men is black men are less likely to participate in the labor force. The labor force participation rate for black men aged 20 and over is 5.6 points lower than for white men. That's according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. 
Many men and women face different considerations by deciding to be in the labor force. And so it's looking at them in terms of participation. Black men have had the highest unemployment rate of civilian non-institutionalized black and white men and women over the age of 20. There was a large race gap in unemployment before COVID-19. But prior to the start of COVID, black men had the highest unemployment rates of black and white workers. Black men are twice as likely to be unemployed than white men. Life expectancy. For white men, life expectancy at birth is six years lower than at age 65. But for black men, that gap is over nine years, showing that black men are more likely to die prematurely. So the life expectancy of a black man is at age 65. Black men are also more likely to die from COVID-19. And we know that because during COVID, we watched CNN and we watched all the different headline news and they were naming how black folk and other marginalized folk were dying at more rates than our white counterparts. And it's actually 2.4 times that of white men, according to data from the CDC in July of 2020. Another challenge facing black men is black men make up the largest shares of prisoners in the United States prison industrial complex. Black men face a higher chance at being incarcerated, according to the Bureau of Justice. These are just some of the challenges facing black men. And I wanna empower and inspire you to look up a few more and to ask yourself, if justice is love in action, and I know the challenges facing black men, am I really doing this as a work of love? And that quote about justice being love in action is by Dr. Cornell West. Segment three, how we can dismantle our biases and show love to black men. Well, the first thing we have to do is unpack our biases and look at our relationship to bias. And one of the things I always recommend folks to do is to go over to Harvard to Project Implicit and take the Race IAT test. And that test is going to help you understand your blind spots and your perceptions and how you take in information and how you filter information, how it's impacting your biases. So I've taken this, I take it every time we have a bias workshop at Check Your Privilege, and it shows me my preference towards white and or black. This is a really important test because it's gonna wake you up to your beliefs around who and what you may or may not found favorable. Now, don't take the test and get the data and start beating yourself up. Take it so that you can drop into awareness. Three specific biases I want you to consider as well as you're unpacking this information is race and ethnicity bias. So ethnic bias is defined as engaging in discriminatory behavior or holding a negative attitude towards or having less favorable reactions towards people based on their ethnicity. And we can see racial and ethnicity bias with you know, the several Karens, like the Karens in New York, the, the one who at the park, the one the one woman at the park, I can't remember her name right now, but 
Another instance is the one that happened at Lake Merritt in Oakland when Karen called the cops on folks who were trying to have a barbecue. That's a race, ethnicity, and an ethnicity bias. The second bias I want you to think about and work on is confirmation bias. And confirmation bias is the tendency to search for or interpret or recall information that confirms something that you may already believe. So if you see three black men on a corner, regardless of what they're wearing, just hanging out, and in the back of your mind, you've always thought three black men in a corner meant drug dealers, you're gonna always look to confirm that that's true. And the third piece, the third bias you could work on is your groupthink bias, which is a cognitive bias that encourages folks to desire harmony or conformity within a group. And so it would be you, let's say you're a white person and all your white friends went to an Ivy League college and you know, you think anyone who didn't go to that Ivy League college wasn't good enough or wasn't like you, you're falling into groupthink bias, right? So if your racial group or if you're part of a racialized group that may or may not think that black men are worthy of, you know, upper education, right? You might fall into that category. So again, the first thing I want you to do is to take the project implicit test and to understand your perceptions and your blind spots. Number 1A would be to work on your relationship with race and ethnicity bias, confirmation bias, and groupthink bias. My second recommendation on how we can all dismantle our biases and show up to love black men would be to step up and then step back, evaluate our relationships with black men. We need to start challenging ourselves and questioning if our relationships with black men are conditional or transactional, right? So can you be in relationships with black men if they do something for you or under certain conditions? Do you tie social constructs of success to black men? So do you only support black men who are professional athletes and actors? Or, or do you love all black men, right? These are some considerations you have to evaluate in your personal and professional life. And then also join a community that can help check your biases around black men. I also want to say and begin to end with this, to love black men well means that we have to honor and humanize them. We have to look at the humanity of a black man against the humanity of all. We need to seek black men experiencing joy and smiling and being happy and living their best life. We need to accept black men for who they are. We need to learn how to not rescue, but to sit with their discomfort and hear them and give black men space to just be fully whole human beings. The same offer care, concern, and commitment that we offer our sisters is the same offer care, concern, and commitment we need to have for black men. We need to allow black men to name what they need without us showing up as rescuers or fixers and really allow them to express themselves by any means necessary. Because to love is to risk. But the risk of loving black men well is the risk of them showing up and learning how to heal themselves. Our job is not to fix or save. Our job is to give space for a black men to be who they are and to help them heal and to help them find their guidance and their way forward. Not to punish and treat them as second class citizens. And if I could end with anything else, I would say, remember, black men are not broken. Black men just need space 
black men just to be seen as love. All right, friends, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. And until we meet again, keep on living into your work. Peace. Thank you.